Hello, fellow player characters, and welcome to Developer SideQuests, the podcast, the show that reminds us that we're all leveling up in our own special way. I'm your party leader, Al Rodriguez, and today we're chatting with another player character, Spencer Oberstadt. Hey, Spencer. Hey, hey. Spencer Oberstadt is a gnome priest who gets to build with Ruby on Rails for his day job, but writes JavaScript when no one is looking. Over the last few years, he has attempted to develop journeyman skills in electrical engineering, but only has the attention span to learn through short recipes. <laughs> I hope you would like that. That's uh, the maximum of my Dungeons and Dragons vocabulary. <laughs> gotcha. Well, you know, it's always I, I always appreciate when people uh, you know put that put the effort into that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a it's a nice intro there. So I see you you've kind of got the the uh that background where your your day job is one thing but your evening you're doing something different um so what, what's what's that like actually because i've never really talked to someone because I, I hear a lot of people uh who do that kind of thing you know you spend your day job working with x and then you go home and and y is what you're spending your, your whole time on yeah um it's been it's been good for me uh, i'm learning a lot um not to spoil anything too much but um picking up some python as well in my side quest um, has, uh, I guess I would say it's humbling um, to start a new programming language and just be like, oh, I uh, feel like a complete noob again. So that's been, it's been good, but uh, it's fun to get to see a different side of the programming culture. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I've kind of in the, the similar boat recently. I've been doing a lot of stuff on the embedded side mm -hmm. and it's just nonstop learning something I have no idea what to do. It's it's all unknown unknowns, like every every turn. Yeah, and that's courageous to take on C. I would never, as a Ruby programmer, just being as far, basically as far away from the metal as possible, um, to take any step that direction is scary for me. So I'm uh, good for you. Well, you know, there's there's always there's pros and cons to everything, right? Oh. I uh, I uh, really want to move away from C at, at some point for for some of this stuff. We'll see how that goes. But yeah. uh, anyway, let's let's go ahead and talk about your uh, your side quest. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about it? Yeah. So uh, I have journeyed into home automation. Basically, the idea of getting rid of light switches um, from the house. Which it's I'm trying to remember exactly the first thing I started with, but the basic level it was how can I have some sort of scripting for my house to turn lights on and off. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've gotten all the way into building my own um, sensors for the house to be able to figure out when there's motion or when the temperature is too high or um, with the garage doors left open. That's probably one of the, the more unique. Uh, it's not that complicated, but it's um, more interesting sensors for me. Um, then getting into so the software it all runs based on a server software called Home Assistant. It's an open source software platform that runs it's written in Python. It runs on a little Raspberry Pi I have here, and that is the hope of that is to combine all of the different um, Internet of Things platforms for the home into one platform um, that where they all can talk to each other. You know I. As I've gotten into that, I've learned that um, it's going to be hard for a corporation to build kind of the central hub of home automation because it's always going to be locked down to compet like competition. You know, Apple is going to make the best home automation or home control system they can build, 
but anything Google makes is going to be really conflicting. Oh no, I'm going to have to turn off my, <laughs> anytime I say the word, uh, I'm going to try really hard to not say the code phrases for, I have a uh, Google homes around the house. So I'm going to try hard to not say those. But, so that's basically my quest is to automate my home. So I don't have to turn on those pesky light switches and turn them off at night. Gotcha. You know, you know, it's interesting. I kind of feel like, um, you know, uh, home automation is kind of that, like, uh, that IOT hello world. It's a, mm-hmm. um, you know, step one is you get a little board of some kind, Arduino, Raspberry Pi, whatever you want, and you get it you, to, to blink an LED, right? Yeah. On and off the little blinky app. And then step two is, well, how far can I go automating my home? I feel mm. like we all kind of do that. Yes. And there is a, you can go down some deep rabbit holes. Um, and I've started like the first level was, well, you can buy these cheap, um, 433 megahertz wall sockets. I'm sure you've seen them at Walmart and target, um, with a, you know, plastic remote and it turns on the sockets. Well, those over a very basic radio frequency, you can buy the transmitter and receiver sensors off of the internet for $2. And then you plug those into your um, Raspberry Pi, and now your Raspberry Pi can control those cheap lights. Well, I learned that those weren't very reliable, farther than five feet away. Um, and you really, like, if you want it so that it turns your lights on at a certain time, you really want it to turn your lights on at that time and not like, eh, you know, there's a chance it might turn them on. Or like, try three times and you'll probably get it in those three times. So went into um, Philips Hue and buying some things and then trying to make my own more complicated internet connected ones. So it's, um, yeah, I've certainly taken this, um, a fun little thing to do at first and made it into, um, a bit of an addiction because it, it certainly is a, it's a hobby that is torturous in a way that makes, cause your house just breaks. Like, you know, your Wi-Fi goes off and then all your lights turn on, um, in the middle of the night. And how do you get it to stop doing that? And it's, it wants to break down. And, and that's not really something that most people should sign up for in their home, but I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's one of those those things about uh, automating the home. Like, uh, there's just so many things can go wrong. Like you just said that you you got uh, so many so many different ways that you can go with that to solve the answer. So. Um, yeah, uh, I I have been in the position where I I wake up in you know the next day and and some of my lights have just turned on because yeah it's been uh the you know lost power or connectivity mm-hmm. or something overnight and I didn't notice because by the time I woke up everything was back but um yeah it's it's definitely a definitely a problem so have you done anything on your side to to make that better for you on, in terms yeah. of the stuff that you've created um so I. I'm thankful that the power at our house is very consistent and that there's only been a couple of times where the power, because for like Philips Hue, for example, is a type of light that they default to always turn on um, if they lose power and then they gain it back. You can change that. Um, but for most setups, that's the way it is. Um, and so that would be really annoying. But I think it's, I think the idea of it breaking down and trying to bring it back up again is something that a lot of, us programmers can take from our work jobs and bring them home where, oh, like the server went down because of this reason. And you can either like just get it to start working again and then be like, okay, that's good for now. 
or you can dig into, okay, why did that happen? What can I do to prevent this sort of error from happening again? Do I need to add some, uh, you know, what is the recovery mechanism? Do I need some added recovery mechanisms? Do I need to add some safeguards? Um, and being able to bring those home and apply those to home automation, I think is fun. Um, and that's, yeah, I think I've been able to bring it in a little bit. For instance, every day at 1 p.m., all of the all the lights in our house turn up to full blast and then turn themselves off if they weren't on before. Um, and that's because Philips Hue also remembers what setting they were, well, most lights remember what setting they were on before you turn them off. And if you turn them on to a little bit at nighttime and then in the middle of the day you want them to turn on, you want them to be on at full blast. So I can just say, turn, okay, G, turn the kitchen lights on and now they're at full blast again like they should be instead of 10%, which is what they were at last night. So those are some like little things that um, I've added to my scripts um, to improve my life for that. Okay, got it. So, so something you can at least work with, right? So something that that at least uh, is is nice for you. So, um, all right. So when you've when you've gone through and created all this, what uh, what exactly is the tech stack? So you mentioned uh, the home assistant stuff. Um, have you relied on that heavily, or um, was a lot of this stuff that you wrote and then you integrated into that home assistant stuff? No, that's a really good question. Um, so it started off. Um, I'll, get into some more of the architecture questions. Um, start off, I've always ran it on a Raspberry Pi. Started off running, um, I would run Ras Raspbian and then load up the, pull the library down um, via like uh, P PIP um, and just fire the, fire it off in the environment running on Raspberry. And so I'd have to like, you know, sometimes like if it really fails, I have to like plug in a keyboard and mouse and try to get it running again. Um, and then I would get, then I would have SSH set up so I could SSH over to it so I could sit on the couch while I edit it. Then, um, they introduced Docker container. Someone in the community wrote a Docker container that ran the whole suite well and had all the dependencies built in. So then I switched to having Docker installed on Raspbian and then having the Docker container pulled down and auto execute when the device starts up, which helped me start learning more about Docker um, in terms of that, a, a setting like that, in terms of having a computer that has all the self-contained and it's very restorable and that you can just, okay, here's a, um, new, like your SSD card got corrupted. How do we like get this back up and running as quickly as possible without having to install a whole bunch of dependencies? And then, um, someone in the community said, Hey, why bother having Raspbian at all when we can just have a basic shell of an operating system that just as Docker and pulls that one dependency, pulls this one Docker image down, executes it. So I've switched to that, which means I have, don't have to bother with any of the architecture. Um, and then a lot of what I write, uh, or a lot of the stuff for Home Assistant is YAML configuration, even the automations. Um, you can write basic automations in YAML and then it using their um, automation platform executes those. Um, more complex stuff I've done. So my most, my thing I'm most proud of is the Raspberry or the um, Roku control because I'm a Jeopardy nerd and I like watching Jeopardy on certain nights of the week when I'm home. So I have my Roku TV turn itself on, uh, change to the Jeopardy channel, which here in Orlando is um, 
ABC, I think, and then pause it so that I have an hour and a half to start watching it because Roku has built-in DVR. Um, all of that had to be done via, I had to write, start writing Python code for that because while there was basic support of like being able to turn your Roku on and off from Home Assistant, um, a little plug for Home Assistant, one of the cool things it does is auto-detects. So like first time you install it, it looks on your network and goes, oh, I see Philips Hue over there, I see a Roku here, Apple TV there. Um, you know, I, if you set it up with um, the app, it starts being able to track you locally um, G- via GPS, um, all kinds of stuff like this where it just sees what's on your network and starts plugging in. Um, so it has basic support for that, but it like couldn't, it didn't know what channel it was on. It didn't know um, how to wait a certain amount of time before, after sending the first command to send the second command, because sometimes it's not reliable. So that was that was where I had to start getting into Python and where I actually started trying to contribute back into the community and say, okay, well, now that I've added this functionality to let it um, send arbitrary remote control codes to the TV over, over local Wi-Fi, let's get this contributed upstream and let anyone else use it. And that's where I've learned, I've gotten to experience the open source community, you've both in a great setting of like, oh, here's a whole bunch of uh, contributors. Any one of them can review my PR, um, is accepted and merged in on the next release. Um, and then other times it's like, oh, but sometimes I need to patch this one library and that is actually a fork of the original library, which was unmaintained. So this other guy forks it, that gets to be the dependency that Home Assistant uses for Roku control. But unfortunately he also is busy and doesn't review PRs very often, apparently or he just doesn't like my PRs. Um, and then uh, those PRs sit open for a long time before I'm able to actually get that in. And so it's um, that's been a learning experience for me is how do I gracefully enter into a community and say, here's my humble contribution. I know it's not very good, but how can we get this into it? And um, having to learn to deal with people at different levels of investment um, where the projects are at. So that's, uh, kind of more of a um, non-tech soft skill learning that I've had to I've gotten to benefit from this experience. Got it. So so that was that, I mean that's quite a, a journey in in the you know this this whole quest right. You're you're starting with you know on the Raspberry Pi side you have stuff and it's it's not just the the actual technical you know programming part of what you're working on it's also the you know the underlying infrastructure for it right you were just doing this bare metal or ish what i mean you're running the app on the Raspberry Pi and then you moved to Docker and then you moved to uh, you know the, the all that other stuff uh, and then um, being able to contribute back to an open source project for you know a whole separate thing you know that that in and of itself is a whole separate quest, you know, part of this whole uh, automation umbrella. So that's a, uh, how, how long have you been, been working oh, on this? Um, I, th- I think about three years now and it, it ebbs and flows and seasons, both of like work or family of how much time do I have to devote to this? Um, yeah. L- lately it's been kind of minimal, but um, there've been seasons where, it's just every every night I come home and while we're watching TV, um, instead of just playing games on my phone, I pull out, um, get up my laptop and I do more programming because that's what we do when we get home from work is we do more programming. 
that is what it feels like some days. But yeah, yeah, you know, we we only ever have so much time on our yes. our side projects, right? Um, mm-hmm. So much going on in life. So uh, cool. All right. So so um, when you're working with Home Assistant, uh, how how do you work with that? So um, it it kind of sounds like the majority of what you've done has been JavaScript work, and then you did had to do a little bit of Python for the the Roku side of things. How did how did those languages um, come into play? So the part of my bio that's JavaScript is just mostly um, at work. I write JavaScript when no one's watching. There hasn't, there has been a little bit of JavaScript I've been able to write for this. Um, And that's for um, writing um, code for those sensors that I was talking about. Um, Thankfully there's libraries and um, I don't know, I'm like, and this is how far how bad I am at it. Um, embedded technologies is that I don't even know what the right term is for like the firmware generation, like Arduino code. Um, I guess it's firmware, um, but there's firmware platforms for micro boards that let you write JavaScript for the boards, which is great because, as I said, um, writing C is very unattractive to me, um, and I don't really know how to do it very well. And I don't really feel like learning. So if I can write these little micro boards um, and have a lot of it maintain a lot of the you know bare metal communication done for me, and then they just I have a JavaScript interface that I can go back and forth with that. Um, yeah, that that was really great um, using mongoose using mongoose OS on those little boards um, was a really nice way for me to be able to start writing embedded code. Um, without having to deal with um, write and see, and then gotcha. And and I I really don't blame you at all for for wanting to you know avoid C on there, right? Honestly, it's you know there, there's there's enough that you have to learn. Like even in this thing, when you already know the technology, you know of JavaScript or whatever else you're using, there, there, there's enough of that that just kind of pops in that that comes out of nowhere to to learn that you know grabbing another. Uh, programming language, plus all of those surrounding tools too, right? You know, everything that you'd have to learn to just to get started on that, that would um, add to, t- to uh, the time on this. So it's, um, it's, it's a really interesting time we're living in now where, where we get to use, you know, things like JavaScript for l- such low totally. level stuff like that's um, yeah. And that's, uh, that's something I, I haven't done before, but you know, it's on my list. I, I kind of want to play with that and see how that works out. But uh Cool. Okay. So while you've been doing this, I guess for the roughly three years that you've been doing this, I, I guess the, the main question is, uh, what have you learned? Uh, has anything jumped out and surprised you? Or was there anything that was really different that you just flat out weren't expecting? That's a good question. Um, I wasn't expecting to, I don't think I was expecting to get this far into it. Um, I guess that's one surprising thing um, where, oh, this is actually something that can work um, and you can actually make um, a house do this, um, even on a, a kind of cheap budget like what I've done. Learning Python was, I think, has been really good. Um, it's something that at least I've gained enough familiarity with it that a project came up at work where we needed to write some Python, I could be like, okay, I at least have some something to start with. And I have some actual practical use of using Python instead of, you know, just a, like a hello world, which is, you know, a really great way to familiarize yourself with the basics of a language, but actually to be able to um, contribute to some code has been good. 
Um, and then also uh, how to deal with devices and how to deal with um, like a Raspberry Pi and how to get pendency or how to get access to it and how to have a stable Raspberry Pi running on a network. Um, like it's just, I had a, I had the Raspberry Pi sitting around for probably was it two, the first, the first one I used. Um, and I had it sitting around for probably two years in a box where I was just like, I have no clue what to use this for. And like, like most of us, um, you know, when we, like, I still have Arduinos in the closet that I've made the blinky light for. Um, and I've found zero uses for it since, since then. Um, but the, so that was cool is learning like, okay, more than just plugging a keyboard and mouse into this, how do I make this to be a stable thing that can stay on for 24, stay on 24 seven and not have to worry about, um, intervening to make sure that I can turn my lights on with Google. Uh, so actually, and, and I don't even know if, if you said this or if I've, if I've asked, uh, are you at a point now where you can say, Hey, G turn oh, on yeah. the lights or that kind of thing? Is it, um, yeah? And the hope is, is to not have to do that as much as possible. Um, the, basically the way I have my house set up is that based, because all the lights are led, they can be on a lot. Um, so by default, all of my lights turn on a couple minutes before sunset every day. Um, they turn on to a, a default scene that I've configured. And then um, at nighttime, after 11 p.m., if the TV's off, then it turns off the living room lights. If it senses no motion out in the living room area at midnight, it turns everything off except for the bedroom. And then the bedroom is the last thing that I actually turn off. We turn off via um, Google each night. Um, or like if uh, me or my wife go to bed early, the other can use the phone to turn off those lights. Um, Cause you know, we're just, we're the worst of the lazy people that we, the idea of getting out of bed um, to turn lights off is just, I can't handle that much work. So um, even that has to be automated. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I don't blame you. Um, I, I always hate having to get out of bed to, to turn lights off mainly because, you know, if I'm lying in bed, I'm I'm kind of ready for right. sleep, right? And when you when you get up, you're well, all that work has just gone down the drain. So now you're now you're awake. You might as well just go yeah, do something. And the theory was <laughs> is that we could go to bed. We would go to bed earlier because the 15 minutes at the end of the night where you're thinking, oh, I should really get up and turn the lights off. Um, well, the theory was is that that wouldn't we wouldn't have those 15 minutes anymore. Like at the start of that, we'd go, Oh, I don't have to get out of bed. I can just turn the lights off with my voice. Um, but you just very quickly go to, Oh, I should tell Google to turn the lights off, but just five more minutes um, of being on Twitter. And then it turns into another 15 minutes and we're right back to where we started. But <laughs> that, any, any time we gain is, is quickly lost to something you know. else, to something new. But something that is important for home automation, I believe is, uh, it's like self-study and that's something that you learn to like study your own behaviors and you see like, Oh, well, why, why was this automation unsuccessful? Like um, the most recent one I added was that if I come home after midnight, um, cause you know, maybe I'm watching a movie. If I turn, come home after midnight, now it's really hard to turn the lights off without Google, turn the lights on without Google when I get home. Well, so how do I fix that problem? And that's something that, I can't really think of an an, an analog for my work where um, other than, oh, the system's down. How do I keep it back up? It's how do I like slightly improve this? You have to become almost a project manager of your own 
home automation system of like identifying problems and friction points um, and then trying to think, okay, what, how could I solve this? Or, or, oh, well, what happens if no one's home? Uh, like, what if I'm traveling? Should I, when should the lights turn off at that point? So all that stuff is, goes into play and in trying to build this, build a system that actually operates well and isn't annoying. Um, because I think that's a basic level home automation is annoying to most people. Yeah, there's 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 definitely a lot of the the human problems that you're trying to solve, right? Because the, the the technical stuff, I got to say, is, is probably pretty simple to totally. a degree, at least where we are with technology now. Yeah, you're just just trying to make it better for uh, and humans. The home, the home assistant stuff makes it so easy, technically, technical wise. It's just like, oh, it just like I said, just find stuff on your network, and then you can just write in a couple lines of YAML um, to turn stuff, turn everything on at midnight or turn everything off at midnight. Like that's, those are really easy, but it's the learning and studying how your family interacts in a, in a building interacts with the building rather, um, that become much more challenging. Gotcha. Cool. All righty. So I guess the, the final question I have for you is what's next. You know, you, you're, you're so far with the project. Um, do you, do you have any plans to, you know, get to a certain level and, and you're, <laughs> you're good or is this just a, an evergreen quest? Uh, I think this is going to be an evergreen quest for me, but some, the next idea I have is um, we're actually expecting a baby in the next couple of weeks. Um, and I'm already starting to figure out how do I automate and, you know, add data metrics to her room and to her. So it's like, um, I want to build a sensor that senses um, vibration and noise and I can put it on the crib so I can be like, Oh, um, she's been crying for the last 15 minutes. Um, like what are we, are we some, can we not hear her? Are we like just not paying attention or whatever? Like, you know, it's those kind of things or how maybe I can calculate and track how much of the night did she spend crying and fussing? Um, so it's, it's like that or, and then I can add a temperature humidity sensor. So then, um, you know, maybe the climate control in our house isn't reliable enough that it feels comfortable in our room, but, uh, maybe it's getting too humid in her room or too warm in her room or too cold, um, all those things. And then I can maybe start by adding notifications, but then I can maybe be like, well, if it's too warm in her room, I can turn the air conditioning down by a degree um, and offset that and just take immediate action, have the system take immediate action. So that's what I'm starting to get in, start to process, like, how do I turn my baby into a machine to monitor basically, um, which is, uh, sounds really dark, but that's kind of the way that pro I think a lot of programmers think about their babies. At least I hope so. Um, as how do I use my technical mind to solve this problem? Um, so that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm dreaming of next. Um, I don't know if how has, or how reluctant my wife will be in letting me, um, plug a bunch of, um, sensors in around her crib will be so, That'll be a different quest, I guess. <laughs> gotcha. Got to gotta get the, the buy-in from the other stakeholders. Oh, and, and that's too, something right? that's important for home automation is like if the other people in the house hate it, um, it's going to it's gonna stop really quickly. So how do you make it low friction for other stakeholders, like you said, um, is uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. My wife doesn't let me have any automated stuff outside of the home office, so... It's uh, it's pretty pretty localized. Well, for me. if you ever want to try to get into um, expanding that, um, let me know because I um, I love I love 
what I've been able to do with our house. And I think that my wife uh, has grown to like it too. So. Okay. It is, it is definitely on my list for a someday when that happens. Yeah, I have... We all have lots of someday projects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So uh, I guess let's go ahead and close out before we leave. Um, do you have any last things you want to say? Do you want to mention, uh, you know, where people can find you on Twitter, GitHub, etc.? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't tweet very many interesting things. I don't really even tweet anything interesting about my home automation, but if anyone wants to reach out and learn about my experience with home automation, find me at uh, soberstat um, on Twitter and Gmail. That's S-O-B-E-R-S-T-A-D-T. Um, but yeah, nothing to plug. Just um, yeah, have, uh, have fun automating your homes and um, try to make it as low friction as possible. Sounds great. And and I'll go ahead and make sure that your your Twitter handle and you know any other relevant links that we talked about today are, are yeah, in the show notes. Yeah. So uh, anyone listening, you can find that there. Cool. All right. So that's all the time we have today. So Spencer, I wish you luck in your future quests and hope to have you back on someday to show off all the cool loot you plundered. Until next time, everyone, you can find this show on Twitter. We are at DevSideQuests, or you can go to our website, developersidequestpodcast.com. And if you could also rate this show in whatever pod listening enchantment you subscribe to, I would greatly appreciate that. All feedback is welcome. Now go work on a quest.